0: Hello everyone and welcome to Space Warfighter Talks. I'm your host, Bill Wolf, the President and Founder of the Space Force Association. Thank you so much for joining us today. I'm honored to have with us Space Force Association member number 37 (laughs) and also Star Delta Commander, Colonel Pete Flores. Before we talk to Colonel Flores, I'd just like to say thank you to our corporate sponsors, uh, Numerica, Braxton Technology, AGI, and Boresight for making this event possible. Colonel Flores, thanks so much for being with us today.
1: Hey Bill, thanks for having me. I really appreciate the uh, opportunity to
0: talk about Star Delta. Star Delta, very important. Before we get going into the specifics of Star Delta, would you mind just telling the audience a little bit about yourself? No, not
1: at all. Uh, You know, it's kind of funny because you and I have known each other so long. This is a a little uh, contrived, but... uh, uh, hey, I'm Pete Flores. I'm a Southern Cal guy. Grew up in Los Angeles. Went to uh, UCLA for college and ROTC. Been in the Air Force about 30 years now. It's getting getting, out, getting up there. Uh, most of my career in space operations. I do the first tour at ICBMs and then uh, went off into space after that and uh, have done that uh, ever since. Um, worked at uh, the Squadron, the Group, the Wing, the NAF, the MAGCOM, you know, all the things you'd expect in 30 years to do. I've uh, been here at uh, Starcom for the last couple of months uh, since just before we stood up and before that I was at um, uh, 14th Air Force and then Spock and then cif but that organization never changed offices, but I changed uh, uh, jobs quite a few times and I was the director of uh, space and operations out there. Uh, so
0: that, that's me in a nutshell. Great. Thank you, sir. Appreciate that. For the audience members, we do have Q&A session open. So if you've got questions for Colonel Flores, don't hesitate to put them in there and we'll try to get to them. We do have an hour scheduled for you today, Colonel Flores, uh, and if we, if we end soon, that's fine, but if folks have questions, we'd like to open that up for, for folks to yeah, ask those questions. So. All right, let's get into it. Star Delta Provisional is designed as a transition command between Air Force organizations tasked with space education, training, test and evaluation, and what will be the Space Force's space Training and Readiness Command or Starcom. You and your team have a challenging effort ahead of you. What are or your priorities for managing the organizational transition?
1: Yeah, we put a lot of thought into that as we uh, started to spin up the command. Really, we have, we've got four things that we're focused on right now <clears throat> that uh, we put out on day one of the command and we're, and we're trying to march to. And they're not things that should be surprising to any, any Air Force or Space Force professional, the types of things we're focused on. So number one is taking care of the people. Now, this is a transition period, not only in the force, uh, but in the command itself. we have got bringing people from all over the Air Force into this new organization. There's always questions about what does that mean for the individual? What does that mean for jobs? What does it mean for locations? That causes stress. So we really gotta keep an eye on that and uh, make sure we're communicating constantly about what's going on in the command and helping people through that process. Uh, with that, we also have to acknowledge that uh, you know, we're still in the grips of this global pandemic and that causes a lot of stress on, on a lot of people. People are working through that every day. It's tough uh, on the organization in the sense that uh, if, you're, if you're like me, you've know, been in the Air Force, I've been learning for 30 years that uh, leadership is a contact sport, and that tool is in a lot of ways been, uh, been eliminated. So things like this, uh, Zoom opportunities and teleconferences, we're trying to leverage those as best we can to stay connected with our folks. And then I got to admit, I, I have to mention, this isn't the focus of this podcast, or I'm sorry, this webinar, of course, But uh, the nation is in the grips of a real soul search about the the nature of social justice. And we can't pretend that is not happening, that's not affecting the folks in the organization. So we're we're trying to stay connected with folks, having those conversations we need to have to keep us on task, to keep us in the fight. So so objective number one is taking care of the people. Objective number two, as it always is, is uh, uh, gotta do the mission, right? We adopt these fantastic squadrons from all across the Air Force. So the 328th from Nellis and the 533rd at, uh, Cal- in California and the 319th here in Colorado, among others, all fantastic high achieving squadrons. We, we can't let those missions fall while we're organizing ourselves. That's not an option. But even more than that, our goal isn't to be as good as we were yesterday. The idea of bringing Space Force together, bringing StarCon together is that we're better, that we're, we're building synergy amongst that team so we can do the mission better. So that's the second focus. Getting that mission done and getting better after it, uh, which leads us to our third objective, or our third goal, which is building some kind of cohesive team. You know, some of my, some of my brother and sister Delta commanders out there uh, had the advantage of uh, morphing an existing organization as something new, which is a neat opportunity. Uh, that's a different opportunity that we've been given in Star Delta. We're bringing together squadrons from all over the Air Force, some of which uh, used to be in uh, the old SIDC, the Space Innovation Development Center, and some of which have been in the Space Warfare Center before that. Some had not, and we're building a new thing. So that's exciting, but uh, we're look, always looking for ways to team amongst our squadrons to get a better product. And the last thing uh, we're focused on is uh, setting the conditions for Starcom. As you mentioned, STAR-DELTA is inherently a uh, transitional organization, a provisional organization. Uh, we will hand the reins off to a, a general officer at some point in the future. When that is, not sure, but that, that will happen. And uh, we wanna make sure that uh, he or she gets the best product they can, so when they grab the reins, they can they can charge ahead as Starcom. At that point, Star Delta will stand down, will it inactivate? And the various squadrons will be subsumed into one, two, three, or more deltas focused on various missionaries. And that's that's in the planning stages, yeah.
0: Thank you, sir. Appreciate that. And as you stand this up, obviously an important organization, perfect objectives. Are you reaching to others for guidance and mentorship for how to lead this transition? Uh,
1: other than yourself, no. Yes, of, you. course, of course I am. Uh, you know, that's, that's a daily event for me. I don't know about anybody that's out there, but the older I get, the more I realize I don't know. Uh, so there's a whole team of folks out there. It takes a village to run Starcom and uh, Star Delta. So um, right now I've got some great folks in the organization, uh, folks like T- Tina Timmerman, Our uh, senior enlisted leader is fantastic, came came to us from the uh, NSDC. Uh, Our our acting deputy right now is Kevin Rhodes, a distinguished officer in his own right. He's retired some years ago in 06, who was a former 595th Space Group commander and a former SIDC commander, so couldn't ask for better counsel than him. And then a whole series of very, very talented squadron commanders who are helping us lead through that. So that's down in the organization. Outside the organization, I'm incredibly lucky to have a whole network of uh, distinguished. uh, Senior leaders, much like yourself, and uh, some some other folks in the in the, the organization, both in uniform and out of uniform, who I can always feel comfortable calling and saying, "Hey, w- what do you think? Are we on the right road? Did we miss something? What about this?" Um, you know, I, I'm lucky. Star Star Delta is a a teaching organization and a, a learning organization. And I tell you what, I'm uh, even after all this time, I'm learning something every day. Every day I'm learning something that I didn't didn't quite get right. Uh, I'll come back tomorrow. and try and do it better.
0: And, and sir, that's really what it's about, isn't it, uh, is that, that training and education piece to go execute the mission, debrief it, learn from it. What can we do better tomorrow and keep that process going as quickly as possible? Yeah,
1: it's, a, you know, it's, it's almost a joke at this point, but it, it's not a destination, it's a journey, right? That's we're, right. Uh, we're, always, we're always on that journey.
0: <laughs> you know, sir, you, you talk about uh, having colleagues, and, and I remember you and I at the Warfare Center, And at the time, it was General Whiting, who was the vice commander of the Warfare Center. And I liked how he brought together folks from Nellis to have brown bag lunches on a a monthly basis to figure out how we can learn from the other domains, uh, specifically for Nellis instance, you know, learn from the air domain. So how did your experiences at Nellis Air Force Base prepare you for your new leadership role, both as the NTTR uh, director and, you know, in your other roles out there?
1: So, it's, it's an interesting story. You know, I like to say that I really don't have a career. I've got a series of loosely related jobs that have gotten me to a certain place in life. Um, I spent a lot of time in Nellis as a reflect on it, almost a third of my 30 years. Uh, I showed up there uh, as, a, as a captain in 1998 at the weapons school and spent six months there and then off and did some things and came back as an instructor, as an operations officer in the weapons school, and uh, then came back to Nellis many years later as in 06 to be the director of range operations for the range, as you mentioned, uh, there's a book, an old famous book that everything I, everything I need to know I learned in uh, kindergarten. I kind of feel like that way about Nellis. Everything I need to need to know I learned at Nellis. Uh, and I, would, I would synthesize that into really just a couple of things. So the first is uh, rule three. So first rule is plan carefully. You know, that, that that's obvious, but a little bit of that is asking the right questions up front, planning to plan, going slow sometimes so you can go fast later on. That's a really important understanding that analytical part of whatever problem you're dealing with. Uh, second rule is uh, execute smartly. You know, if your life is like mine, virtually every plan I come up with falls apart almost immediately. It's just the nature nature of the world. And that's okay if, uh, if you plan carefully and you think about the options, and you think about the problems, then when reality hits, that's okay, you roll with it and, and you move on. And the third, third one that you just mentioned a second ago is a debrief consistently, debrief honestly. Everything is worth a debrief. If you do it, it's worth talking about. It may not be a full up Nellis three hour beat down on the whiteboard, but a conversation about what went wrong, what went right, I should say, what went wrong, and what are we going to do next time. That that's pretty pretty basic. I think you can apply that in most every situation. And I really feel like my time at Nellis helped instill those those uh, three things in my mind: that planning. Executing smartly and then debrief it after. So my experience in Nellis has, has been very formative in, in my life. Now let me say something about Nellis. I don't. I. am not going to be too polyannish about Nellis. Nellis has its own challenges. You know, it's a tough environment. Some great things about Nellis that I love that I want us to replicate in the Space Force. And there's some things I did. I did love at Nellis that I think we can. Uh, we can learn from that were maybe appropriate for that environment, maybe not appropriate for our environment. That that we can do a little different, a little better for that specific for us
0: that's a that's a great point you know i was talking to a senior leader in the space force not too long ago and they were saying that some of the limitations are we don't have the same environment going into the development of the space force that the air force had when it stood up in that you can't go get all this geographic mass and create this huge infrastructure for a range uh, and then create a bunch of threats on that range that you send air crew to go fly against because we just don't have the resources right now to develop that infrastructure. So that being said, the you mentioned the space test and training range is heading your way. What is the future infrastructure look like for that advanced training? I know that's a tough one, but we got yeah, to get after it.
1: That is a tough one, but that is core to what we're doing is uh, trying to define and then resource and use that uh, operational test and training infrastructure that the Space Force needs. So we're lucky that the 25th uh, Space Range Squadron has come to us in Star Delta and excited about that. Um, We're working on uh, on on-orbit ranges and how would we create that capability to be able to um, use that? Uh, Because as as you know, certainly the the 25th is a traditionally EW range, electronic warfare range. It's not an all-purpose range. but as you say, we don't have necessarily the option that the Air Force did in the 40s to grab a big chunk of the, of the desert. So we're going to have to be smarter than that. We're going to have to really think about what is appropriate in the live, in the virtual, in the constructive environment. What's the right mix of that? So, from the training audience or the testing audience, it's a uh, seamless representation of the environment. So, when you sit down at that console, as you know, as space operators, we interact with our environment through a console. That's, that's how we do it. Um, that for you, it's immaterial, whether it's live or it's NumRx, it, it does what it's supposed to do. I just got to mention in there is that really depends on just sterling modeling and simulation. Right? We really have to have to get, get that together to make sure that the representation is accurate so that uh, when someone jumps on console and they see something we're teaching them the right lessons. So I think we're making progress there, but there's no doubt this is a, a big ticket item and it's a, it's a struggle to, to make sure we focus enough on this but that's why Star Delta and Starcom exist, or will exist,
0: Yes, sir, and and thank you for that. You mentioned the 25th Space Range Squadron, obviously an important organization. I I remember when I was a space aggressor back in the day, the only thing we could talk about was our, you know, terrestrially-based SATCOM jammers and GPS jammers, and that's really all we could say. Now we're talking about, you know, today we're talking about on-orbit threats, you know, are the aggressors, the 527th and and 26th aggressors, going to create that training environment for uh, people going through that advanced training?
1: That's the goal. So similar to the 25th, uh, this is clearly a growth growth area for us. We have to be able to, as the aggressors like to say, we need to uh, know, teach, and replicate that threat, right? That's what we're all about in the the aggressor world. Uh, And that obviously includes the on-orbit environment that uh, Again, was one of the entering arguments for why do we need a space force? Is because this contested, uh, degraded, operation limited environment is going to exist. We're going to have to figure out a fight through it, and uh, the Air Force has certainly demonstrated that one of the key ways of doing that is by having a robust aggressor force. Um, there's no doubt that in the space force, uh, there's room to grow here. You know, we've been pretty limited in the aggressor world and for the range world as well. Um, so we're going to have to grow those capabilities. Um, there are plans. Uh, to bring some, uh, when I say some, a number of billets into those uh, areas. But I don't want to get too far ahead of that. Uh, I'm still out there trying to figure out how we would organize that. For instance, do we beef up the 527 with X number of people? next Do we need a separate squadron that focuses on some other element of the threat or some other, other arrangement that we can think of? But uh, we're definitely, that is on the on the list of things we're working on.
0: Yes, sir. And that kind of goes along with the adversary tactics group out there at Nellis that has various capabilities to replicate a specific aggressor mission or an adversary mission. Uh, so that's, uh, that's, that makes sense. Appreciate that.
1: And well, and, and just to, to follow that up a little bit, uh, as you mentioned, there, there continue to be classification issues you know, in the space world, in this realm particularly. So we have to, we have to tread lightly through that and make sure that uh, we are sharing the things we mean to share and, and we're not sharing things we don't mean to share. Uh, But we can't let that stop us from getting this mission done. We have to prepare prepare crews uh, to operate in this
0: environment. Yes, sir. Thank you. Some of the Space Force missions are significantly different from Air Force Space Command, such as orbital combat. What changes in education and training are you and your team implementing to meet the expanding scope of U.S. military operations? I'm
1: glad you left an easy one for right right there in the middle. Um, (laughs) So, so let's, go, you know, let's go back a little bit to the, the philosophical or the intellectual change that, that spawned the Space Force. The uh, understanding that this is a contested environment, that we are not granted uh, our space uh, superiority on day one of the fight. That We're gonna have to fight, fight for it and fight through it and regain it sometimes, potentially. Uh, so that idea is step one. And trying to inculcate that in our, in our uh, space professionals from, from the time they're kids, no offense, but the time they first enter into the into the service, and so we we grow up that way. So there is no question about oh it's it's all easy. You just turn on the button and it works. That we all understand that. Uh, gotten past, having gotten past that that intellectual step, now let's talk about you know, the training. How do you train folks for that? Well, things like space flag. We just finished up the space first space flag under uh, Star Delta about a week ago. Very very exciting. Uh, shout out to uh, Major Andrew Arnott who uh, who uh, led that effort. Those sorts of environments that stress our crews, that stretch our crews, both in terms of the depth of their understanding and the breadth of their understanding are really, really important. They really help us understand, okay, this is how hard it can be, but I can succeed. If I team properly, if I, if I you know, move, shoot, communicate properly, we can succeed in this environment. So let's figure out how to do that. So things like red flag, uh, things like the advanced training of events we do with the various deltas, which we'll continue to do and continue to grow. Very, very important. And then you look at our training environments, things like the, the courses that the 319th, uh, another one of our squadrons, the 319th combat training squadron doing the space warfighter follow-on courses here in Colorado Springs, really critical to taking those crew members of the space professionals who leave uh, Vandenberg at the 533rd, another one of our squadrons as well, very exciting, come to that follow-on course, top off their technical knowledge with now some tactical knowledge, and then through the course of their career, start going to those events that just sharpen them over time, over time, get smarter and smarter and smarter. And smarter. Now, I don't want that to suggest that you know, we have the answer. Here's the answer. Go execute that answer. It's, it's really almost the opposite. We want to create the environment where those crew members are coming up with the answers and teaching us and telling us, hey, this is the best way to execute this mission. And that machine just keeps going again. There's no end to that.
0: That's a process that goes forever. Yes, sir, let's talk just a little bit about that process. I, I'm a huge fan of that you know, testing tactics training model that we're very familiar with in terms of, you test out a new capability, you develop the ROEs and the tactics for it, you go train with those capabilities and then uh, you develop the tactics and then you kind of kind of works that circle around. Where do you have the necessary capabilities to execute your space superiority mission, and how does that flow back into the acquisition process to ensure that the, the future operator can meet that you know existing and future threat? Uh, the short
1: answer is no. to Be brutally honest, we're we're just not there. Uh, Air Force Base Command for a long time has had the tactics improvements process and that whole cycle in place, but it's a struggle. It really is. It's a struggle to put the right emphasis on those things and to put the right dollars on those things to go correct the things we need to correct. I think it's getting better. Uh, Actually, Bill, you would love this. I I got a briefing just this morning on the Space Force tactics improvement process and where we can go from the Air Force tactics improvement process and say, hey, what are the things that worked? Let's, Let's do that. And what of the things that maybe did work so well for us and let let's try something different so uh, those are the kind of things that i didn't, certainly didn't come up with that i was a i was a three captains uh two from the 17th which is another one of our squadrons uh and uh from the 328th from the WIC came in and said hey we, th- we think we have an idea so that's exactly what we're going to need to do we're going to need to innovate our way through this you know i, I hate to sound trite but uh, there are no rote answers, there's no pat answers out there that, okay, just buy a couple of those and you fix your tactics problem, that, that's not the deal. Um, but acknowledging uh, that we have a, a, a hole there, we have something we can get better at, that's step one, we come up with a plan. We know that plan isn't gonna be perfect, and that's okay. You know, we, we, you know that phrase, we're, we're 100% sure, we're not 100% right, okay, let's do that thing, and then come back and fix it, and just keep making it better and better. So. Um, short answer, I think we've got a ways to go, but I'm excited about where we're
0: at. Outstanding. Thank you, sir. I appreciate that. I'm going to take a, a question from the audience. It looks like Lieutenant Colonel Raj Agarwal is interested <laughs> in Raj, some the information. Know? He wants to know what the difference between how Starcom will train educate compared to what Air University is doing. Will there be any partnership between the two organizations?
1: Uh, That is a topic of great conversation right now. Let's talk about educate specifically. Um, I have learned in just the last month how deeply enmeshed uh, space education, air education is. I'll be honest with you. I thought at one point, okay, great. We can just knock out a space uh, SOS and and we'll be good, right? Uh, Not not the case at all. Um, the, The entities are very well connected in whether it's the LeMay Center or the Eaker Center or the Barnes Center. All of those things are very closely connected. So we're going to have to work very carefully to look at when uh, when is there a point to disaggregate that, and to what level does that need to be disaggregated? Or conversely, do we need to make those bonds even tighter? Do we need to find ways to make this a air and space, or the way I say, it, a space and air entity? Um, you know, is that something we need to do? So right now, uh, for the foreseeable future, we will continue to be a full partner in the in the Air Force education process and the Air Force education entities, then we'll look at what is the right way to do that down the, down the road as uh, we learn more about this. Um, there's a lot of change going on around that and we think that one's working pretty well. So it's probably not time to change it right now, but we do have to look, to look towards the future and say is there a time when, when we're going to look at a different construct. So that's on the education side. On the training side, yeah, Space Force Air Force Base Command before and Space Force now has had a robust training program in the past that was uh, independent, often of what the Air Force was doing. We'll continue those things. So things like UST out at uh, out at Vandenberg, which is uh, getting ready to transfer from AETC over to Star Delta. So that should be here in the next in the next few uh, days to weeks. Uh, and then the combat training squadrons here in uh, Colorado Springs, which were Air Force Base Command and ACC, which have now transferred over. We looked to robust our space flag squadron, turn that into a full uh, combat training squadron, uh, similar to the 414th, which is an Ellis, which runs as uh, a red flag. Um, and a little different, a little different model for us, but a similar idea. And then you have the other training uh, things, advanced training elements like the WIC for Weapons Instructor Course, which has transitioned uh, to Star Delta, but is a full partner with uh, uh, the Warfare Center, the 57th Wing, integrated into that, that courseware. Could we look out into the crystal ball someday and say, is there a different construct? Sure, we're not there yet. We'll keep looking at that and then we'll see. Raj, I'm not sure if I answered all your questions.
0: I'm sure Raj will follow up if you didn't. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I, got, I got another one from Kristen Hussey. I think I'm saying that right.
1: Kristen, how do you see Huss- training?
0: Hussey, that's right. H-U-S-S-Y, E-Y? That's right, H-U-S-S-E-Y. Okay. Hey, Kristen, how you doing? She's asking, how do you see training and education progressing regarding the integration of our allies? UK, Canada, Australia, New Zealand, others?
1: For for those that don't know, Kristen is headed in that direction. It was a fantastic (laughs) opportunity for her. Uh, So uh, we're losing her from the 319th. So Kristen, thanks for for the question. Yeah, that's critical. I just came from CIFSEC. I spent the last couple of years before coming here at CIFSEC. And uh, it is clear that we're not going to fight alone, right, in space as well as anywhere else. So we have to figure that out. Um, already at the NNSI, uh, led by uh, Colonel uh, Max Lance, for those of you who know him, uh, NNSI is also part of Star Delta. So if I keep saying that, it's true. Star Delta is pretty big. We got a lot of stuff going on. Uh, so NNSI came over. They already have some courses that are open to international officers, and I think we're going to keep looking for those opportunities. We're also looking for opportunities with U.S. Space Command on how we can uh, help them get their crew force up, which includes, of course, uh, international partners as well.
0: Follow up
1: on. Of our of our three upcoming space flags, uh, one is a coalition space flag. So we're, we're we're getting after
0: it. No, that's great great news. Similar to what's going on at Red Flag, where they have coalition flags and then U.S. only flags, and, and that just makes sense. So you can get after it to so make sure that your allies and and close partners can operate in that domain with you. So well done, sir. A follow up from that from. Mr. Brian Yosh- Yoshimoto, who is concerned about the multi-domain flavor of education, so are there opportunities for Army, Navy, Air Force, IC orgs to get involved in in these types of advanced training opportunities?
1: Yes. Next question, yeah. <laughs> um, Brian. That's that is a that's a a good question, a tough question. You know, we're right now in the process of building the Space Force, so not surprisingly, we're trying to build build our house a little bit, and that's where the focus is. But we can't lose sight of the fact that, for instance. One of our p- biggest customer uh, bases are, is a soldier, right? The Army, in terms of numbers, is a huge customer base. We can't forget that. There's an ongoing dialogue at the national level about uh, what forces from the other services might, at some point, transfer into the Space Force. That brings another element into it. But while that is going on, those decisions will be made, we're absolutely continuing our training of the Joint Force through the courses we provide. I think that uh, that demand signal is gonna go up, uh, I hope it goes up. I hope uh, yeah, anytime someone's fired up about uh, space, we want to try and help nurture that and explain that to them.
0: Um,
1: but then we'll have to balance. You know that becomes a resource conversation about if you need a hundred soldiers trained, we want to train them. how how do we do it? Uh, but you're absolutely right to be thinking about that, and we are thinking about.
0: And then a follow up for you know the advanced training, but what about ASOPs and Space 100, 200, 300? Is there going to be an opportunity to open that aperture up as well?
1: Yeah, you know, it's interesting you ask that. One of the first things, uh, actually, it was a couple of days before he took command that I got a question on, and this was from uh, General Shaw. For those of you who know General Shaw, he asked a great many probing questions. Uh, he asked me, what are we going to do for uh, to get everybody's game up? So the space professional, how do we increase the fidelity of UST? For the non-core... But the common AFSCs, things like uh, cyber and intel, you know, who are critical to the mission, how do we get their space awareness up? And then for the, the, the uh, uh, defender on the gate, for the culinary professional at the DFAC, for everybody serving on a space base, how do we help them understand the critical part they play in this mission? So these are different, you know, levels of things. And then, of course, there's training for consumers of space, you know, who, who are not necessarily in command, but are, are key consumers or partners in something. So we're working on a series of bridge courses essentially that help bridge those communities to make sure we come up with a, a common baseline of knowledge appropriate to, to that uh, community. So for some folks that might be, uh, I just made making this term up space 50, you know, a, a five hour CBT that, that you can review at your, your leisure and then you're expected to get that done within a couple of months of arrival on base. And that's all the way up through uh, how do we make UST more rigorous? How does every space operator walk off Vandenberg, whether enlisted or, or, or officer, with a, a deep understanding of their domain, and then they go learn how to fight the fight? Um, these are all the things that we've been tasked to go to go look at and try and make better, and, uh, and
0: we will. Yes, sir. And I, and as you say, I think space professionals understanding the technical depth and breadth of the system that the operators is going to do nothing except advance the industry baseline for the capabilities that we know we need to achieve space superiority. Yeah,
1: you're absolutely right. There's no downside to having smarter people. Well, well, I may modify that a little bit, but in general, you know, the the more capable the crew force, the better off. we are. And you actually make a really good point about our our civil and commercial partnerships. You know, this space thing, obviously I'm a DOD guy, I'm a space force guy, but uh, this is larger than what the DOD does. So as we continue to, to build this community of interest that includes all of those folks um, coming to a common uh, baseline of knowledge, in, in my mind, is nothing but good.
0: Yes, sir. Thank you. The, uh, <clears throat> let's see, there's, there's a lot going on in the Air Force, <laughs> Air Force, and, and that, that space enterprise that they've kind of owned for a long time, And now you expect to main. you know, what aspects of that are you going to transition from or would you like to transition from the Air Force over to the Space Force? And what are the major necessities that you see that need to transition over to the Space Force?
1: Uh, So I've been thinking, like many people online here, I've been thinking about this for a long time. Um, And I think uh, as a quick aside, I feel a little bit like the dog who's been chasing the car for 20 years. Uh, I finally got it. So I better do something with it. Um, so it's it's on us as space professionals. When I say us. It's really not on us, right? It's on on uh, those uh, those airmen and those officers who are you know five and ten years and twenty years younger than I am who are gonna who are gonna build this thing. Uh, but having um, having having now got this force so exciting that we can do something with it. I would say the two key things that uh, that we've achieved uh, is uh, our money and our people. Right. With those two things, if you can control those things. You can get and set at your destiny. When I say our people, that includes the intellectual capital that helps us build our doctrine. And when I say our money, I mean the priorities that help us match national priorities. With those things together, I think we, we've got a chance to make through. Oh, and the things we want to keep from the Air Force, you know, I, I wouldn't say it's about about losing or taking from from our relationship with the Air Force. It's about expanding that to the other services. The yeah. space is inherently a, a joint provider. We we are responsible for providing that. The, space-enabled combat edge to anybody in uniform, any coalition partner, anybody who needs this. So uh, while we don't want to necessarily detract from what we do with the Air Force, we gotta gotta work harder to build that with the other services.
0: Sir, you talk about the next generation. You know, the post-millennial generation, often called Gen Z or iGen, are entering the Space Force. The iGen does not remember a time without the internet. For many of their first, their first phone was a smartphone, unlike us. Colonel Flores, when we were growing up. They're comfortable with multitasking and expect digital products to be efficient, intuitive, customizable, and personal preference. Are you as a Star Delta Commander provisional taking steps to provide education and training and developing capabilities to allow the Space Force to take, recruit, retain, retain and take advantage of the innovation approaches iGen will bring to the Space Force?
1: Yes, but it's not easy. So, yeah. you know, step one in this process, to be perfectly frank, is, is understanding my personal limitations. You know, when I came into the Air Force, there was one computer in the squadron and we only used it for scheduling. That was it. That was, that was all there was. And I think we might have had a princess phone at home, you know, on, on the wall. So I am to, 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 uh, to at best, I'm a, I'm a digital you know, immigrant. I'm not a digital native. So step one is understanding that the good ideas are probably not going to come from me. The good ideas are going to come from our captains, and our airmen, our young space professional, who are going to come in and say, "Hey, here's a tool that works for me. Take a look." And we have to, I think, as as a Space Force leaders, be open to that. Hey, I don't really get it. I don't know what this VCR is you all talk about, but you know, you know let us let's, let's take a peek at that. Um, so that's step one, really understanding. Hey, you know, where are we in terms of our, our intellectual development with this? Uh, step two is, you know, the chief talks about. Uh, space operations talks about us being a digital service you know what does that what does that mean for us so for me that doesn't necessarily mean a specific technology what that means is being on the edge of the technology always always being open and receptive to what's that next thing not only be lead uh, lead uh, i'm sorry lag turning but lead turning how do we employ those technologies the best effect within our service So it's really, it's almost an ethos, if you want, about being able to nimbly interject new technologies, review them, and guess what? Some of them aren't going to work. Some are going to fall flat and they weren't what we needed. Okay, learn from that, move on. Move on to the next thing and find those things that work for us and then don't get so married to them that we're blind to the next thing that will work even better.
0: Oh, that's good. And then that brings up the Balance the need for standardization within the context of developing capabilities and processes, which will position the Space Force to recruit and retain IGEN space professionals. So how are you, how are you planning to tackle that issue?
1: So you can't see it on this uniform, but I, I'm a SAC train killer. Like all good officers, my first assignment was in SAC. Uh, I get it. Uh, checklists play an important role in certain missions. Um, they're not going to help us, or I shouldn't say that. We're not gonna win the next war with a checklist in hand. That's that's probably not how it's gonna go. We have to be open to the idea that we're gonna push uh, risk, and we're gonna push authority as low as we can to the appropriate level. So some risks are necessary at a higher level, but where we can't, push those down and really embrace this idea of of mission-type orders. I think we've been been talking about that a lot in the DOD for years, but we really have to see how that works in Space Force, how we can ask people to deliver outcomes give them the tools, and then they're going to show us how, how, to, how that's going to happen. I don't think we can expect at the pace of war and the complexity of war that anybody sitting at the top echelon, no matter how good their essay, no matter how good their decision tools, is going to be able to manipulate the ender's game the war. You know, that, that's probably not something we can
0: Yes, sir. And that's analogous to the fighter pilot flying into battle. And they're not, they're not standing by to reference a checklist or maybe calling back to headquarters to ask how a specific system is gonna respond to a specific threat. They know exactly how to respond to that threat based on that education and training. Education, two years of you know flying education and then training, advanced training on top of that. I mean, that's, that's a very deliberate development of that specialty. So it sounds well, like you're going it, down
1: that. It is, and it's also a development of systems that allow the operator to operate within an envelope that they, they, they can manage. So there are certainly still times when procedure is king. We are following this procedure because this is the way we're gonna do this thing. But then there's other times that tactics and techniques need, need to take over and that, uh, that professional experience is where get, what's gonna get you through.
0: Okay, sir, I got, I got a question from uh, one Amber Melody Dawson. I don't know if you know her or not. I'm sure you do. And she she says, hello, Colonel Flores, will Starcom have a role in theory, doctrine, concept development? We're at a transitional point, taking on additional missions that require a whole new mindset and new education with a strategic and operational mindset. What is the best way for us to approach this in a new service?
1: So, first of all, I sure hope so. Uh, I think if Starcom isn't uh, leading the intellectual fight within a space force and we probably made a mistake somewhere. Probably didn't organize the force just right. Um, doctrine is a very interesting topic, you know, we just got our capstone uh, our, uh, document uh, published not too long ago, which is great. Um, got to understand, you know, within our context, doctrine is often the uh, compendium of knowledge. And in this case, at least, it's, it's visionary as well. So it's not strictly what looking back, it's looking forward, which is really important. Uh, right now, doctrine is a little bit of flux. Star Delta, we didn't pick up a lot of doctrine work just yet. There isn't a doctrine unit we could have gotten, not a lot of doctrine people to get. So that's a con- something that's continuing to develop. But by the time Starcom rolls around, I think you will see Starcom is responsible for doctrine development for the service. And, and the questions you're asking, at, you're asking are exactly the questions that need to be asked. What does doctrine look like for a new era? It cannot simply be a list of the of the Napoleonic staff and uh, how you uh, turn a tip bit It's more than that, it's, uh, it's, it's more complicated than that. Um, not that those things aren't important, but we need to look at it slightly differently. And again, similar to what I said earlier, it's not so much about the doctrine itself, but the way you approach it, the ability to rapidly assess what's going on, adjust as necessary, and keep learning every step of the way.
0: And a follow up, and I apologize, I said, uh... I called Amber Melody. It's actually Roxy. So Roxy has a follow-up question. Can you speak to ongoing or planned exchange programs with other career fields? For example, Uh, a 13S with RPA exchange or a 13S with NASA exchange?
1: I I love the idea, but I'll be perfectly honest with you. I can't. I I think that is an awesome idea. I think we're, again, as a learning organization, uh, it's tough to see yourself. Someone from outside sometimes needs to come in and say, hey, this is what's going on. That's why a lot of times in and you come into a new unit, the, the new guy or the new gal is the person that says, why are you doing this? Well, we've always done that. Someone has to come out and, and, and show you that problem. So I hope we have opportunities for that. My sense is right now, we're in the consolidation phase of the Space Force though, and that, that's where our focus is. Right now.
0: Thank you, sir. Uh, I got another one from Art Luero. Many in uniform, regardless of service, associate themselves to their particular military culture from where they were first educated. How is Star Delta going to help build the U.S. Space Force culture?
1: So it's funny you should mention that. I, I was on the phone with uh, some folks from uh, one of our FFRDCs yesterday for about an hour talking about culture. Um, culture is a hot topic, and, I, and I'm so glad it is. There's some things you got to talk about when you talk about culture, though. First, what is culture? You know, what do, we, what do we think culture is? We toss the word around. And we don't necessarily focus in on what, what are we really trying to talk about. Once we figure that out, what are the elements of culture and what are the important elements of culture? I'll give you for instance. Uh, a lot of times uh, we focus, including myself, on uniform. You know, what, what's the patches? What's the color? It's fun, it's, it's exciting thing to talk about. People are fired up about it. That is, that is awesome. Um, in my opinion, the foundational elements of culture, those unspoken truths, are the things that are more important. They're the things that shape what you think, what right looks like, for you in a given service. And that's something we're going to build over time. That's uh, that's not something you can jot down and hand out and say, okay, great, you got your culture. Um, we're going to, we're going to build that uh, over time. Uh, that's exciting to see all the steps, the publications that come out, the, the trinkets, I'm not trinkets, the artifacts, the artifacts like uniforms. Those are things that are important. They build that fire people. That's good, but it's going to take some time for this to settle into. What is our worldview uh, out there? There's some great books on this out there if you're interested in this, this concept, of organizational culture. And I think it's TBD, what the Space Force culture will look like.
0: Got another question from Chris Babcock who talks about AFSCs. And we've been talking a lot about the assumption that space operators going through this specific advanced training and education process, realizing that Space Force is standing up Uh, cyberspace professionals, intelligence uh, professionals. So how is that education and training going to provide the necessary um, support to get those folks involved in the Space Force? Uh,
1: Thanks, Chris. I I mentioned earlier that uh, Daryl Shaw and others had asked me to take a look at that very topic of how do we bring folks who don't necessarily get the opportunity to go to UST and give them foundational basis of this. And talk a little bit about that, but even beyond that, things like the Space Warfighter follow-on course, we're, we're now pursuing, a, uh, looking for opportunities to make that not just the space operators, but that whole team that comprises that, uh, that crew, that fighting crew, so your cyber operators, your intel professionals, your space professionals, and bring them all up together. This is really not about raising the, the level of the, sp- the, the space operator fight, it's about raising the level of the space fight and everybody who contributes to that. Uh, cyber is really really a complicated one, because this isn't so much a how should Space Force train cyber. It's the whole Air Force, whole DOD is trying to decide how does it raise its cyber game. That's obviously a complicated thing. We're part of that conversation. But the fundamental answer is I, I agree with your premise that we are all in this thing together. It is not just the 13 S's and 1 Charlie 6's that provide this combat capability. So, so we're getting after that.
0: All right, sir. I got I got one from... Colonel Matt Anderson, SFA's Director of Outreach, and he wants to talk about the entire education and training spectrum from E1 to 06, and how the Space Force will either be similar to the Air Force, BMT to Air War College, or completely different. Has there been thought towards that?
1: You know, there has. I I don't wanna get too far ahead of this because I don't think any decisions have been made. Um, The foundational elements of basic indoctrination that you do at BMT, basic skills training that we currently do at Vanderbilt, advanced skills training, and then periodic hacks on advanced training. That seems fairly uh, effective. Uh, I will say though, I I just heard a very interesting idea just a couple of nights ago from uh, Max Lance, who I mentioned, that maybe we need to think about uh, this as a more of a continuum of learning. That every year, every operator, every professional is expected to raise their game a little bit it's kind of like I mean maybe it's a bad example but uh, the way CPAs do you know you just don't stop you just don't become a CPA and now you're done every year you're making yourself a little better you're getting qualified a little bit more so uh, we're gonna have to take a look at that that is not something though that we're gonna change in a month or a year and that takes a lot of thinking about things like professional development uh, things like SOS, uh, ACSC, War College You know, are those periodic things still the way we want to go, or do we want to uh, spread that more across uh, someone's career so they're developing a little bit every year? Both have proponents. uh, Both have examples of why they work well or don't work, um, and uh, I
0: think we just don't have an answer. Yes, sir. No, completely understand, Uh, and thank you for that. No, Continuing education is extremely important, and rolling that in to the fabric of the culture is, is probably going to be a phenomenal opportunity, so thanks for mentioning that. Hope so the uh, you'd mentioned red flag in the 414th combat training squadron and the 319th combat training squadron so there uh, we have conducted interviews with the 319th uh, combat training squadron so you can go look at that at our, on our on our youtube channel as a shameless plug and then we have conducted interviews with the prior 414 combat training squadron commander as well and some interesting dialogue that took place there. So those, those are, there's a podcast on SFA, ussfa.org, and we have a link to our YouTube videos there as well. Sir, is there anything you'd like to say to, what message would you like to share with uh, future space professionals and space professionals currently in the audience?
1: Well, well for, thanks for what you're doing every day. You know, this, is, this space is hard. I just, what came from a meeting where the, the final topic we, we all shared in know, 30s, space is hard. This is not an easy, easy thing. Creating a, a service is not an easy thing. Uh, keeping your eye on the ball is not an easy thing during times of transition. So for those space professionals, those intel professionals, the cyber professionals out there, all the folks who are supporting the mission, uh, whether it's officers, enlisted, contractors, civilian, you know, just thank you for what you do. And, and we need you. Um, you. know, I'm not gonna figure this out. <laughs> we're gonna work. We need a whole team to figure this out. So all those good ideas, out there. And I ask you from a Star Delta perspective and from a Starcom perspective, be a demanding customer. If you're not getting what you need out of your testing and training infrastructure, tell us about it. Help us understand how to make that better. And then we'll go and try to make that happen. You know, we'll have to go back and we'll have to, you know, we may have to tinker here and tinker there and spend some money here, spend some money there, but we need to hear that. We need that. Please don't be a, please don't get yourself into that position of being a professional problem pointer outer where, where you, you feel like your job is to tell everybody how terrible things are, you know, light us a candle, tell us how we can make it a little better. Maybe it's not the full answer, but but I think uh, you can help us with that. We'll, we'll do everything we can to, to build this thing.
0: Sir, I really like how General Heighton coined the phrase, and it probably wasn't him who initially coined it, but I love how he used it all the time, which was, we gotta fail fast, learn from our mistakes, and then move on. And, move on. That's yeah. right. And, Change our education, change our training so that we are the world-dominant Space Force.
1: Well, I, I tell you what, all of us, you know, as individuals, as organizations, we're going to stumble, right? That's that's the human condition. If you're going to spend a lot of time worrying about that, that that's going to be a problem. Uh, but the measure of the organization is, okay, we're going to fall forward, and then we're going to get up, and we'll keep moving, and we'll fall forward, and we'll get up, and we'll keep moving. And that that's just that's nature of the beast. So a bunch of little falls is okay, so we can avoid the big fall when it really matters.
0: Yes, sir. Sir, I I just thank you so much for your time today. I really do appreciate it. I know how busy you are standing up the new command, and uh, so I appreciate your time and talking to the audience about what Starcom uh, and Star Delta is all about.
1: My my pleasure. Hey, one last item. The VML period's coming up, so if you're looking for a job,
0: (laughs) Star Star Delta's hiring. And if The Space Warfighter Talks are topics that you're interested in. Stay tuned and become a member of the Space Force Association so you can get all the insights about what's going on in the Space Force. Upcoming in the next couple of weeks, we are going to be honored to have Brigadier General Steve Purdy from the Space Force S9 office on here, as well as uh, Mr. Gordon Kordiak. So look for that in the near future, but I can't thank Colonel Flores enough and for our corporate members of Dumerica, AGI, Foresight, uh, and Braxton Technologies for their support to make these events a reality. So, sir, thanks again from SFA, and, and we hope to talk to you real soon.
1: Thanks, Bill. Take care.
0: Okay, you too. Bye now.